My message this morning is entitled, Reversing the Curse of Demonic Disorder, Step 1. Today we're going to cover Step 1, Reversing the Curse of Demonic Disorder. I've been doing a series entitled, The First Step to Your Greatest Successes. And I say successes because God doesn't want you to just have an, a success once. He wants your whole life to be successful. That's the definition of life and life more abundantly. And the first step to your greatest successes is to be able to come to a place where we can honestly pray, God, not my will anymore, not my way, but your will and do it your way in my life, in Jesus' name. I've lived long enough, maybe more than some of you young guys, to be able to say, I've made enough mistakes, I've been down enough bunny trails, I've paid the price for stupid decisions, I wanna do things God's way, and I want God's will in my life. Can I get an echo of an amen here in the room? Absolutely. I've shared quite a few things over the last four weeks, and today I've, I'm going to unpack a lot of revelation. I'm going to need to talk fast. I'll be moving quick, and uh, I want you to stay with me as much as is possible. I also want to encourage you, uh, listen to the sermon again during the week. I'm going to say a lot today, and it's all worth hearing, but it's going to be brain overload. So I encourage you to listen. How many of you do listen to the sermons again during the week? Can I see you? Wow, that's great. Okay. And, uh, well, I listen, how many of you benefit from hearing it a second time? Larry, do you get more the second time through? <laughs> it hits you between the ears and here? but it still gets you at home. What about you, Shirley? You get more when you listen to it the second time? Absolutely. I'll be honest with you. Yes, I critique myself. I watch the sermon, but I'll watch it two or three times because even though it's coming out of my mouth, sometimes it is just bypassing my brain, coming up from my spirit and straight out my mouth. And I listen to it and I go, whoa, did I actually say that? <laughs> there are some things that I really do say, did I say that? <laughs> My story about six cigarettes last week. <laughs> Some things are best left unsaid. But most of us are like the rest of us. Okay, so I'm going to start here. Prior to the fall, man functioned by hearing God's spirit in his spirit. This seems like a foreign concept to us today. Even those who move in the gifts of the Spirit and get a word of knowledge, a word of knowledge, Jesus, for example, often had words of knowledge. He knew that the woman at the well, that he asked her for water, he knew her living conditions. She talked about uh, a husband, and Jesus, she, she said, I don't have a husband, and Jesus said, you spoke correctly. You've actually been with, I think it was five or six different men. And even the man you're living with now isn't your husband. 
He says, but I could give you living water so you'll never thirst again. I love the fact that God goes to the place of our brokenness and he doesn't condemn us. He goes there because he wants to heal us and set us free. Do you know that when God points to areas of sin in our life, it's not to condemn us, it's to set us free. Because areas of sin are traps that demons set to keep us prisoners. And so, yeah, Jesus does go to our areas of sin, but he does it not in a condemning way. He does it in a loving way to educate us and help us break loose from the demonic forces that have had us in bondage. How many of you know that? Hello? How many of you can believe that? Absolutely. And uh, so Jesus would have words of knowledge. At times, it, we read a verse several weeks back in this series. Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. What was in their soul, he knew in their, his spirit. A word of knowledge is a piece of information that you did not gain through your mental intellect. It was given to you from the spirit of God to your spirit. A prophetic word is information about the future. And it is stuff that your natural mind doesn't know, but God will reveal it to your spirit. And even today, this is a little bit of a foreign concept, but I want you to understand that the first Adam before the fall was primarily a spirit. You look at me right now and you see flesh and, and bones. We see from a natural perspective, in a moment I'm going to show you that prior to the fall, things were primarily from a spiritual perspective, and it was spirit, soul, and then body. So my opening statement here this morning is, prior to the fall, man functioned by hearing God's spirit in his spirit, and then his spirit gave commands to his soul and to his body. This whole series is about divine order being disrupted. If you live in divine order, you will have righteousness, peace, and joy. Jesus said the devil is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he doesn't want you to have joy. And he knows that the way to take your joy away is to take your peace away. And the only way to take your peace away is to take your right standing away. The devil understands the word of God far better than the average Christian. He understands the principles of God's word and he reverse engineers the word of God. Most Christians don't ever get to the place where they really live in the abundance of God because a lot of preachers just don't go deep enough to preach the principles of God's word. Hey, if I got to spit at you and have you in and out in 60 minutes, I'm going to give you the fastest, the quickest, the shallowest sermon and make sure that I pat you on the back and you leave with a huge smile. That's a hireling. He's doing a job he's paid for. And his job is performance. How many butts can you put in a seat so you can look at their faces? A shepherd lays down his life and says, you know what, it doesn't matter what people think about me, I have to preserve them, these are my father's sheep, and it is my responsibility to tell them the truth and to take them to clean waters and green pastures so that they will be healthy for God. Everybody hearing me? Amen. So 
I, you know, I've, I've made it my life goal to tell you the truth. Now, I will do it with grace. I will do it with love. I don't do it in a legalistic way, but I never, ever run away from saying what God tells me to say. And I hope I've earned your respect for that. Okay, I got three people. I said, I hope I've earned your respect for that. You know, the car salesman who wants to make a sale will tell you whatever he has to tell you about that car so that he makes a sale. But your daddy will research and your daddy will tell you the pros and the cons of that car and the pros and the cons of that car and the pros and the cons of that car so that you benefit from the best decision. That carries over into the ministry too. Paul said, some preach the gospel for selfish motives. I got news for you. I haven't forgotten who my employer is. And I have to give account to him. And uh, while sometimes I could be a little bit intimidated by the crowd, I am always absolutely conscious of my Father in heaven. And I walk circumspectly according to his word. Turn to somebody and say, I like this guy. He's going to tell me the truth. Not for his benefit. Come on, you're not saying it. But for my benefit. Absolutely. And that is the heart of a true shepherd. Okay? So, before the fall, Adam, he saw primarily from the Spirit. He heard from the Spirit. And... Uh, after the fall, we hear from the Spirit in a very limited way, unfortunately. I'm going to give you some scriptures. The physical body can see, hear, smell, touch, and taste. The Spirit can see, hear, smell, touch, and taste. Prior to the fall, man lived predominantly from his spirit. After the fall, we can still operate in the five senses of the Spirit, but it's limited. I'm going to prove to you I'm not being negative. The Word of God says this, and I'm going to unfold something and show you something that is hardly ever preached about. Number one, I'm going to expose a lie that some, maybe I shouldn't call it a lie, a misguided belief that some Christians hold on to, and it limits them from ever stepping into the supernatural of God. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 to 12. Now, Paul's been talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and he's also been talking about love and the fruit of the Spirit. And in this particular passage, he says, love never fails. Everybody repeat after me, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, and when you read this all in context, he's talking about words of knowledge. Where there are, is knowledge, it will pass away. God help us if just normal, everyday knowledge passed away. I mean, some people are walking around like bumbling fools as it is. We don't need more knowledge to pass away. Somebody give me a wave. You on track with me? When you read this in context, he's talking about the supernatural gift, a word of knowledge that comes from the Spirit of God to our spirit. 
you know something that your intellectual brain did not learn through the eyes, the ears, or any other method. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, some translation says, when perfection comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Paul says, when I was a little kid, I talked like a little kid. But then when I grew up and I was mature and I came to a place of completion as a man, I reasoned differently, I thought differently, I acted differently. He's using this as an analogy. Stay with me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror but then we shall see face to face. When? When completion comes. We will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul is specifically, in this context, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy. Prophecy is the ability to speak Outside of your brain, you speak from your spirit through the spirit of God, and you can actually speak about things that are yet to come. People don't realize that when Jesus, in John 15, 16, and 17, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, I must go, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will tell you about things yet to come. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. The Holy Spirit moves in all the knowledge of God and he will give you words of wisdom. He will give you words of discernment. He will give you words of knowledge. He will give you prophetic insight. The Spirit of God searches the mind of God and he knows all things. Isn't that good? Amen. When we tap into the Holy Spirit, those benefits and gifts are for us today. But when God gives me a word of knowledge, he doesn't give me the whole picture. He gives me just enough to accomplish the task, okay? I don't walk in unlimited supernatural knowledge. I know in part. I prophesy in part. Everybody with me? But when completion comes, when perfection comes, are we living in perfection yet? Some of us might think so, but we are deluded, right? We are not living in completion yet. There are two words or two phrases used in the Bible that are never preached about. Jesus said it once, and he used one term, and then Peter mentioned it in Acts chapter 3. And uh, these two words, the first one that Jesus used, he used it in Matthew chapter, let me see, uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. And um, he says, the word renewal. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, yada, yada, yada. At the renewal of all things. Church, let me explain something. The kingdom of God is here in spirit, and it is now. And all the power of God's kingdom is right now. 
The miraculous is here. The supernatural of God is here. And so many churches don't understand that. And so Christians go through life under the dominion of the kingdom of darkness, not realizing the victory that is ours and the power that is accessible to us through Jesus Christ. Okay, your kingdom come, the word come is erkomahi, it is a present tense verb. It means it is here, it is now, and it's happening all around me. How many of you want the kingdom of God to keep happening all around you? Absolutely. The word renewal, Jesus says, in the renewal of all things, as you read through the word of God, you will see that God prophesied in the Old Testament and he speaks about it in Revelation that there is coming a time where God will renew the heavens and renew the earth and the new Jerusalem, which is in heaven, where God is, will come back down to earth and heaven and earth will kiss again and be one. Sin separated God's realm from this realm. When demons took over the leadership of earth from the first Adam, it caused a separation. Did you know that sin will always cause a separation? Even in natural relationships, sin will break down relationship and cause separation. Hello, Pam. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're back. I know you already. I look forward to getting to know you better. But more than that, your father, he's your father now. He knows you. He loves you and he cares for you. Pam asked Jesus in her heart last week. Isn't that awesome? Amen. God bless you. Jesus talks about the renewal. There's coming a time where the tangible physical earth will be renewed. The heavens will be renewed. And God will literally walk on the earth again with us, and we will walk on the earth. You're not going to spend eternity in heaven. You're going to spend eternity with God here on earth. At the renewal of all things. Uh, Peter talks about the restoration. In Acts chapter 3, verse 21, he's preaching about Jesus, and he said, Jesus Remember, this is right after Jesus ascended. Pentecost came. The Holy Ghost fell on them. They all started speaking in tongues and prophesying. And all these unbelievers are listening. And Peter's preaching to them. And 3,000 end up getting saved that same day. And Peter says, this same Jesus who went up to heaven, and I'm going to pick it up now from verse 21, he is in heaven whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Ever since the fall, God has been prophesying through holy men that there's going to be a restoration. Everything's going to be brought right back to a nanosecond before the fall. How many of you are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth? Okay? Now, this is a concept that doesn't get preached enough. Most Christians think they're going to spend forever in heaven. No, heaven and earth are going to become one. God walked on the face of the earth before the fall. And God is going to bring his Jerusalem back down, and he's going to restore everything back to the way it was. So what Paul is saying is when completion comes. Now what's interesting about that word completion, if we look at it in the Greek, it is the word teleos, 
telios, and it means having reached its end, its completion, having come to a place of perfection. In the HELPS Word Study Guide, it gives us this. Telios is going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal, i.e., completion by fulfilling the necessary process. It is a spiritual journey. Do you know that I am saved and I am also being saved? I am saved. If I were to die right now, which I will not, my spirit immediately will go to be with God the Father. I already am God's son. I already am uh, uh, destined to live forever with my Father. My sins are forgiven. The moment you ask Jesus in your heart, don't worry, Pam, every one of us, we've all been hardened sinners in the past. We all screwed up. We all made mistakes. And uh, somebody might have just gotten offended at the word I use. So see, I make mistakes even in church. Uh, but we all sinned, we all messed up, and uh, the moment we ask Jesus in our hearts, our sins are forgiven, and we become sons of God. People say we're sinners saved by grace. No, I was a sinner, I was saved by grace, today I'm a son of God. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I like this. I was a sinner, I was saved by grace, but I'm not a sinner saved by grace today. I was a sinner. I am saved by grace today. I am a son of God. G'day, Corey. How are you? Good to have you back. Uh, I am a child of God. I don't want to see myself as a sinner. That's who I used to be. If anyone is in Christ, behold, the old has passed, the new has come. We are new creations, Kenya. I see myself in the mirror and my natural mind wants to point out all the ugly parts of my face and all the ugly parts of my body and all the ugly parts of my character. But I look in that mirror and I say, that's not how God sees me. When he sees me, he sees Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I am washed in the blood. I'm born again. I am a new creation. And the more I speak to the guy in the mirror and I remind them of that, the more the guy in the mirror starts to act better. You'll never rise to a level higher than what you believe. And the new creation message is a very important message. Yeah, it is a good point, isn't it? So I, I, if I were to die right now, I'm saved. But the Bible says that God's concept of salvation is more than giving me a ticket to heaven. God wants to save the planet, the renewal of all things, the restoration of all things. God wants to save my physical body. If I were to die right now, they'll either cremate this body or bury this body, whatever they end up doing. But Paul says to be absent from the body is immediately to be present with the Lord. My body will die, but my spirit goes on living. Now, there's another word that the Bible talks about. It's the resurrection. Jesus said that on the resurrection, he talked about the resurrection. Paul says on the resurrection, when we get raptured on the resurrection, our bodies will come out of the grave, even if they've been cremated and spread across the, the oceans of the world. 
God in his supernatural ability will bring back every molecule that made you. And the Bible says your physical body will be joined to your spirit and it will be glorified like the glorified body Jesus had when he rose from the dead. Do you remember I taught you last week that in Psalm 8, and it's repeated in Hebrews, David says, what is man that you crowned him with glory? I said glory is always the character of God and honor is always positions and responsibilities of privilege that God gives us. But glory also emanates light. God lives in unapproachable light. Glory is the reflection. When Moses saw the glory of God, the Bible says he came off the mountain and they had to put sackcloth over his face because he shone. He was brilliant. He just shone from the presence of God. The glory of God was reflecting through him. Okay? And so my physical body will be glorified. Did you know that Jesus with his glorified body could walk through walls? He did that. You say, well, hang on, we're going to have a glorified body like that? They recognized it was Jesus, and yet, even though they could touch him and put their finger in the hole in his hands, his body attained another level that was more than just flesh and blood. The first Adam had a glorified body. I'll prove it to you in a moment. And he lost it, and I'll prove it to you in Scripture in just a moment. There's a whole heap of hidden things that are really, really cool. But watch this here. David says, what is man that you crowned him with glory and with honor, and you put everything that you created, all the created works of your hand are under his feet. Did you know that Adam, before the fall in a glorified body, was not subject to the laws of the natural realm. Because even the laws of the natural realm are created by God and they're under his feet. The same way Jesus in his glorified body could walk through a wall. Why? The laws of the natural realm do not rule the spirit. The things of the spirit of a, are of a higher nature than the things of the natural realm. Are you hearing me? And so the first Adam saw in the spirit, he heard in the spirit, he understood in the spirit. His spirit was fully awake and he was attaining knowledge through his spirit. And so he would look at a tree when he was first created and spirit knowledge prior to the fall did not know in part, it knew completely. The reason why Paul says we know in part now, but when perfection comes, those things will be done away with, is because you won't need a word of knowledge when completion comes. When there's a new heaven and a new earth and God is living here, you will look, you will see, and you will know. Anyone who ever recounts their story of having come back from death we have a, a, a gentleman called Don Piper, wrote a book, 90 Minutes in Heaven. He's going to be here in our church in April, okay? And he talks about what he saw in heaven. I've reviewed many, many stories of people who have died and come back, and everything is consistent with the Word of God. And when you leave your physical body, you're in heaven. Are you blind? 
Do you think you're blind when in heaven? Your eyes are here in the grave. Are you blind in heaven? Are you deaf in heaven? So that means your spirit can see and your spirit can hear even without your physical eyes and your physical ears. Church, what I'm trying to tell you is that you are a spirit being and when we allow our spirit to really awaken and hunger after God, we will start to see from the spirit and hear from the spirit far more than what we do right now. The problem is we live in divine, we live, we don't live in divine order. We often live in demonic disorder and we live as natural people in a natural world primarily. And God wants us to be able to step into a whole nother level of living where we live by the spirit we see by the Spirit, we hear by the Spirit, as well as by our natural eyes, but we hear and see and understand by the Spirit of God. How many of you are looking forward to that? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the gifts of the Spirit are nanobites of information that man would have had completely prior to the fall. A word of knowledge is a nanobite of information that God brings to me that prior to the fall, I would have had all knowledge. When the heavens and the earth are recreated, I don't need prophecy because I'll be able to look into the future. I don't need discernment because I'll be able to discern everything. I won't need a word of knowledge because in the spirit of truth, nothing is hidden. Hello, are you with me? Is this good? All right. So uh, the physical body has appetites. Your physical body hungers. You got this little thing inside you. It's like an alarm. And when your body needs more food, it makes you hungry. Everybody say hungry. When you go past the alarm, you get hangry. Ah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, we have this little alarm. Now, mine goes a little bit wonky, and it tells me I'm hungry all the time, so I have to use self-control and slow it down, okay? But in your physical body, you have hunger. It's there so that you stay alive. You have thirst. It's there so that you stay alive. In your physical body, there is the need to breathe. If you ever try to commit suicide by holding your breath, the reason why you're still here is because it's impossible. Try holding your breath and commit suicide by just holding your breath. You will end up breathing. Why? There are these preserving factors that God has put inside of us so that we live. God is all for life. How many of you know God is all for life? Okay, the devil's all for death. And so we breathe. There's this element inside of us that will always cause us to breathe, even if somehow by an outside force our breath is being restricted, we will grasp for breath. So in your physical body, you hunger. In your physical body, you're thirst. In your physical body, you need breath. And in your physical body, you need intimacy. Sex is a great thing inside of marriage. 
But sex as an act by itself is a perversion of something more beautiful and more holy that God created. And sexual intimacy was always meant to be the devotion of two people looking at each other and coming to a place of great fulfillment. How many times have I said emotion imprints deeper than logic? And when a man and a woman look into each other's eyes and they've made a commitment for life and they engage in sexual activity, Activity, God designed everything that you feel emotionally to be an imprint that bonds the two of you together. But the natural body needs intimacy. What's interesting is that everything that's in your natural body, your natural body corresponds to your first body, which is your spirit. And in your spirit, you're meant to hunger. In your spirit, you have the the facility or the capability to thirst. In your spirit, you have the ability to uh, breathe the breath and the presence of God. In your spirit, there is the need for intimacy. When we are not hungry for the things of God, listen to me, this is an opportunity to change or get offended. When you are not keen to go to church, when you're not keen to pick up your Bible and read, when you are not keen to sit down and listen to worship music and worship, and you find everything else to do, your spirit is malnourished. Its ability to hunger has been damaged, and it needs to be corrected. And its ability to thirst has been thwarted. It's diseased and it needs healing. And your ability to breathe in, to want the presence of God. I love coming to church. I don't, I don't understand how people miss church so much. Can I tell you that before I was the preacher, and I was a preacher in Australia, started four churches, overseeing 12 churches, came back to America. I'm running from the ministry. I told God, never again. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday prayer meeting. And I was running from God. Because he's my breath. He's my breath. My spirit wants to be in his presence. I want to breathe him in. When we don't have that attitude, sorry, you can send me hate mail later, but the reality is we need a checkup from the spirit up. Something is wrong. Something is too dormant. Something is not functioning. As it is in the natural man, it was first in the spirit man. You're meant to be hungry in the spirit. You're meant to be thirsty in the spirit. You're meant to want to be in his presence and breathe in his presence. You're meant, you were created to have intimacy with God. And when you look at the church of Jesus Christ today, You know by those factors alone there are a lot of red flags and the church isn't as healthy as it should be. Thank you, Russ. I'm glad you appreciate the truth. Listen to me, guys. I, I have to give account for you. I would rather be good with God than be on your favorite preacher's list. That's just the, it's the absolute truth. Stand up, Larry. This guy's a bit bigger than me, isn't he? You'd think I'd be afraid of him. I don't want to upset him. Larry, 
You're nothing in comparison to my father. I love you, I respect you, and I don't want to have to tussle with you. Sit down, buddy. <laughs> but you are nothing compared to my father. I respect him, and I don't want to fall out of grace with him. Listen, church, I'm going to always tell you the truth. If something inside of you isn't driving you to church, if there isn't this, I got to get to church. I, I want to pray. I want to open my Bible. Man, I need me some worship music. Then let me tell you with all due respect, you need a spiritual doctor because your spirit is sick. It's not functioning properly. Okay? Yeah. Listen, if my hunger alarm didn't go off, it'd be really cool. I'd lose some weight, but after a while, I'd lose too much weight, too much. And I wouldn't be healthy, Phil. And you're meant to have a spiritual hunger alarm. And some of you men, your alarm doesn't go off. Some of you women, your alarm doesn't go off. That's alarming. It took a minute. It took a minute, but you got it. We're meant to hunger. We're meant to thirst. We're meant to want to be in his presence. I love being in his presence. I love worship. Not because I love singing. I do enjoy it. I sound terrible, but I enjoy it. But no, I, I love the atmosphere. I love feeling the presence of God. I breathe them in. I want intimacy with my father. I want intimacy. I love, when I make a friend, I love to open up. I love intimacy on a, uh, a friendship basis. I'm not talking about sexual things, all right? Uh, but I love intimacy. I don't want to just say, hey, Fred, how are you? And I don't know anything about Fred. No, I want Fred to know me. I want to know Fred. Hello? Now, you may not be like that, and usually when we've been hurt... We build up this walled city, and people have got to go through 10 layers or 10 years of hurts before they get to know us. Hello? In your spirit, you're meant to desire, you're meant to want intimacy with God. Church, let me be totally honest, as I always am. If you find that you don't hunger for God and you don't thirst for God, you need to quickly start talking to him and say, Dad, I'm broken on the inside. And while I may not want this, I know I should want this. Therefore, I'm coming to you because I know something's wrong. I don't go to the doctor because I want to. I don't like going to doctors. I don't like taking medicine. But when I go, I go because I know I need to even though I don't want to. And that's how we should function in our spirit. Your spirit is way more important than your physical body. Your physical body is very important. But it's not going to live forever no matter what you do. But your spirit will. And so when we are not having the hunger for God that we should, that the preacher talks about, that the Bible talks about, Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. That's a spiritual hunger. It's a spiritual thirst. It's like, I can't go another minute. I need me some Jesus. I need me some mu worship music. 
I need to get in the Word. I got to get to the Word. Tonight, I don't care what happens. I'm going to kick the TV and break that thing. I'm going to have some quiet time with Jesus. There needs to be that spiritual, yeah, go on, give the, there needs to be that spiritual hunger, that spiritual thirst. There needs to be that desire for intimacy. If it's not there, something's broken. And when something's broken, you're not going to run to God because you want to, but you need to run to God because you know you need to. Am I making sense? There are a lot of times I don't feel like praying. There are a lot of times I don't feel like going to God's presence. I do it because when I don't feel it, when the hunger's not there, when the thirst isn't there, I know something's wrong. And so I do what I know I need to do even when I don't want to do it. Yeah. Praise God. After the fall, man's spirit lost its ability to operate in the five senses, and it lost its spiritual appetites. I want to show you something. When the serpent was talking to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, he says, you can't eat from the tree? She says, no, we can eat from all the trees, just that one, because if we eat from that tree, we will die. And the devil comes back and says, no, you won't. You won't die. And if you were here last week, I showed you how he reversed the divine order. Can't go through it again. I got too much to cover today. But he reversed that complete divine order, and he took Satan from the demonic kingdom, and he took a fruit from the plant kingdom, and he took a snake from the uh, animal kingdom, and he appealed to man's physical body. She saw that it was good for food, and it was pleasing to the eye. He went to the body instead of to the spirit. Spirit, soul, body. He goes to the body. Then he goes to the soul, and he says, he shows them, and it was good for making one wise, the mind of the intellect. Then he goes to the mind of the emotions, and he says, yeah, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat it Hate to be the bearer of bad news, but God doesn't like competition. He doesn't want you to be like him. What a load of bull. God said in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. What a liar the devil is. But he appealed to his soul, the mind of the intellect, the mind of the emotions. Do you mind that I... Man, that goes in deep. I know, right? <laughs> Got to have a bit of fun, right? Don't hit me. <laughs> he goes to the mind of the intellect. He entices the mind of the intellect, and he puts a wound in the mind of the emotions. God's rejecting you. He's holding something back from you. He never talks to man's spirit. And so they exchange the word of God, do not eat, for the word of the devil. Hello? And they fall. Eve takes the fruit. She eats it and says to Adam, who's standing right next to her, have some. And he eats it too. He wasn't much of a spiritual covering, was he? Men, get spiritual. Get spiritual. 
You're meant to be a spiritual backbone in, the, in community. You're meant to be a spiritual backbone in the church. So are you women, but men, take your responsibility and be a leader, be a spiritual man. Do you know that when a woman is born again, one of the things that she secretly desires is a man who is godly? Because she knows that if he loves Jesus with all his heart and really loves Jesus with all his heart, he will cover her and protect her and make her feel safe. And a woman's definition of love is feeling safe. The minute they eat the fruit, chapter 3, verse 7, they eat the fruit. Verse 6, they eat the fruit. Watch this. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Stop. What? They were walking around with their eyes closed up until now? The devil showed them the fruit. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. You see, they went from seeing from the Spirit to now seeing from the flesh. Two things happened immediately when they ate. In verse 7, two things happened. Their eyes were opened. Now they were seeing from their natural eyes instead of their spiritual eyes. I told you that Adam, before the fall, was primarily a spirit man with a body, but the body was glorified. He was spirit, soul, and body. He saw from the spirit. He heard from the spirit. He lived from the spirit. But the moment he disobeys God's word, he breaks divine order and his spiritual eyes go dim and he starts to see through his natural eyes. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. The second thing that happens is it says they realized they were naked. Wait a minute, this is stupid. This doesn't make sense. They were naked all along. They realized they were naked. You know what happened? The glory left. You're naked when you're without your clothes. They were clothed in the glory of God. The perfection, the splendor of God's presence had lifted off of them and they saw they were now without his presence. Oh, wow. Doesn't that make sense? Absolutely. It's amazing how revelation will bring, make the word of God make sense. Everything fits when it's truth. And so here they are in a nanosecond. They eat the fruit. Their spiritual eyes go dim. What did we say? You will die. What does that mean? Spiritually, you become dormant. They stop seeing from the spirit realm and the glory of God lifted and now everything they see and everything they know is purely from the natural level. Fallen man. Amazing, isn't it? In the renewal of all things, I'm going to be clothed in the glory of God. You're going to be clothed in the glory of God. And we will see in the Spirit, hear in the Spirit, and know in the Spirit. I'm explaining these things to you because as a born-again Christian, you can grow in your spirit. And I'll touch that more in the next sermon. There's too much info. Uh, 
I'm looking at that stupid clock. I rebuke that thing. Too much info. But in the, as a born-again Christian, you can actually grow in the Spirit and start to see in the Spirit, hear in the Spirit, and move in the Spirit. In fact, in Bible college, uh, Thursday night, we're having activation. We're taking all of our alumni together with year two and year three, and we're taking them through activation, teaching them how to see in the Spirit and hear in the Spirit, how to move in the word of knowledge, how to move in the word of prophecy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We are spiritual beings. When we're born again, God wants to awaken your spirit so that you function from your spirit. Isn't that cool stuff? Amen. So put this on the board real quick. Uh, Before the fall. Before the fall, man received information from God through his spiritual five senses, which became the information gateway to the soul, informing the mind of the intellect, the mind of the emotions, which in turn would trigger the will to activate the body, to respond and obey God, a man's spirit, which is always in agreement with the spirit of God. That's before the fall. After the fall, put up the next slide, man receives information from any source other than God. We see through the natural eyes and through the natural ears, and if we're seeing corrupted information, we believe corrupted information. If we're hearing corrupted information, we receive corrupted information. When you're hearing from the Spirit, it'll never be corrupt information. It'll always be the truth because the Spirit of God is the truth. Man received information from any source other than God through his physical five senses, which became the information gateway to his soul, informing the mind of the intellect and the mind of his emotions, which in turn would trigger the will to activate the body to rebel, to disobey, and disagree with the Spirit of God. The Bible says to be carnally minded, to live from the natural body, from the natural desires, is enmity with God. And so after the fall, that's what happened, okay? So (laughs) if I could have the next screen up really fast, I showed you this chain of command or this divine order. At the very top, we have God, Elohim. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Elohim is the Hebrew word for God. Whenever you read the word God in the Old Testament, it is always Elohim. Elohim is plural. It is the introduction in the beginning, God, Elohim. It is the introduction to the triune being of who God is. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, So at the very top, you have God. Under that, you have the fact that God gave his word, and when man obeys God's word, he is submitting to God. So in the divine order, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and you have the word of God. And then you have man, and in man you have spirit first, then soul, then body, then you have the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the demonic world. The devil was always meant to be under your feet. As a born-again Christian, you need to know it is your right 
to rebuke the devil. It is your honor to step on his head in Jesus' name. You are never meant to be the punching bag of demons. You are not the sport of fallen angels. You are a son of God. You are a child of God. You need to believe this in your mind and allow your spirit to rise up and say, devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Somebody give the Lord a yes. So the question is, what brought about the disorder of the divine order? And the answer is, they obeyed the word of the devil over the word of God. The word from Satan, from the demonic kingdom, which was under his feet, the lowest kingdom of all, became the word they submitted to, rather than the word of God, which was above everything. How do we reverse the curse of the divine order? Step one to reversing the curse of demonic disorder. Sorry, how do we reverse the curse of demonic disorder? I said that wrong. All right, number one, renewing the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions. In Romans chapter 12, let's have it on the board. Paul says this, don't conform to the pattern the lifestyle, the principles of this world. Be transformed. Do you know that the word of God is transformative? It can literally transform you from who you are and where you are. Grace will take you from where you are, but faith in Christ will take you to where you've never been. The word of God is transformative. It'll transform you. And Paul says, don't be conformed by the say-so of the world. Don't be conformed by the culture of the world. Don't be conformed by the patterns or the trends of the world, but be transformed. How? Renew your mind, the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions. Then you will be able to test and approve God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You will never be able to fully and successfully say, Father, not my will, but your will be done until you start to renew the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions. Good preaching, Pastor Ron. Put that up. You will never fully and successfully be able to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done until you start to renew your mind. You need to speak to every belief system in the mind of your intellect. You also need to speak to every memory Every hurtful memory, every painful memory, you need to speak the word of God to every memory. You need to speak to your broken emotions and the things that make you afraid, the things that make you feel inferior. You need to be transformed by the renewing of the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions by taking the word of God and saying, I'm gonna reverse the demonic disorder by disobeying the word of the devil and by submitting to the word of God. Am I making sense today? That sounds like I didn't make sense last week. Did I make sense last week? All right. All right. Watch this here. Stay with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5. Though we live in the world. How many of you live in the world? Uh, what are the rest of you space cadets? 
I mean, how lazy can you get? All you have to do is this, you know? You know, it doesn't even have to stay up for 60 seconds. Beep, beep, beep. I, yeah. What are you, from another planet? How many of you live in this world? All right. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war the way the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. I am sick and tired. No, I'm not. Uh, I feel sorry for Christians who don't understand the level of power and authority that you have through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that I have access to supernatural weapons. You have access to supernatural weapons. They're not like the weapons of the world. They are powerful. Why do you need supernatural weapons? Because your enemy is supernatural. Thank you. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? It's the place where the enemy is dug in and he's hiding out like a sniper and he picks you off and you don't even see him. That's what a stronghold is. But we have divine power to demolish strongholds in ourselves. Places where in the past, a little demon got in and he manipulates our life from a memory in the past. He manipulates our life. He guides our actions in the future by belief systems we said yes to yesterday. It says we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Let me break this down for you. We're going to go back to the Greek because this is New Testament. First of all, the word demolish, kathahireo, to take down, to pull down, according to the helps word studies, it says forcibly yank down, to destroy, to leave nothing standing, or even in good working order, cast it down. I like that kind of language. We demolish, man, we yank it down. Don't leave it standing. Don't leave it half working. Take those thoughts, take those belief systems that are contrary to the word of God and demolish that stuff. Because that's where demons hide in our lives in the untruth of God. Information that is contrary to God's information and demons will hide there in our lives and they will pull on our mind of our intellect and the mind of our emotions causing us to press our will and activate out of the knowledge of darkness. Thank you. That is a wow, isn't it? Demolish arguments, logismos. Arguments, logismos. Reasoning, rationale, imagination, thinking, concepts, thoughts. What are arguments? Not what you have with your wife or your husband. 
That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Paul's talking about. We pull down arguments in the Greek. It's logismos, belief systems. What do you believe? Belief systems. It's wrong thinking. Remember in the garden, it all started with don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was already seeing in the spirit and knowing everything he need to know in the spirit. When he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he got an adulterated form of information. It was corrupted. What happens when you get corrupted information in the memory banks of your computer? It crashes, doesn't it? It messes everything up. And that's exactly what happened to humanity. Arguments, logismos, reasoning, imagining, thinking, concepts, thoughts, word help study says reasoning that reflects someone's values. Your belief systems, not all of your belief systems are based on the word of God. I'm not saying that as a criticism. There are things in me that I have to keep checking up on my thinking and take my thinking and compare it with the word of God. Guys, this is spiritual warfare. You may not realize it. You might take the sermon and trash it in the tin and never re refer to it again, but you're very foolish if you do. We live in a spiritual world and you have an enemy. If you don't want to go into warfare, that's fine. You have a free will, but the devil's going to bring warfare to you. He's a thief. He will still kill and destroy. He will bring warfare to you. So you might as well understand warfare and use your spiritual weapons and totally destroy and demolish the belief systems that are contrary to what God's word says. Turn to the person next to you and say, this is good. I need to hear this. I need to know this. All right? Pretension, Greek, hopsuma, a high thing, Something that's lifted up, a barrier, a bulwark, a presumption. In other words, we have strongholds are made up of arguments, belief systems that define our values and our actions, and they are barriers to God's thought patterns. While ever we have these strongholds and belief systems that are contrary to God's knowledge, we will always be out of divine order and in demonic disorder. How many of you want to get your life out of demonic disorder and into God's divine order? The first step, we need to reverse the curse. What did Satan do to reverse divine order? He pushed the word of God aside and he brought his word and said, believe this. What you have to do, what I have to do, is take all the belief systems in our, the mind of our intellect and the mind of our emotions, everything we've experienced, everything we've been taught, everything we've been told, and line it up with God's word. And anything that doesn't line up with God's word, you've got to destroy it so that it's not even left standing. It's spiritual warfare. If we don't do it, and you don't have to do it, God's not a legalist but there'll be a stronghold of demonic activity inside you and he will govern areas of your life. 
How many of you think this is a good thing to do? It's a good thing to do. Put this on the screen. If we want to walk and live in divine order, we have to reverse the process of demonic disorder by bringing everything back into God's divine order. We have to empty the mind of our intellect and the mind of our emotions of all the corrupt knowledge that we have acquired over the years and replace it with the knowledge that God has on that subject. We start to do that by doing 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. God's knowledge, not just the knowledge of getting to know God, God's knowledge. Remember, they surrendered God's knowledge for the knowledge of good and evil. It was perverted knowledge. The world breathes on perverse knowledge. Some of it's good, but a lot of it is bad. God's knowledge is always pure, and it's always right. You know what this is about? It's about repentance. God, I'm thinking wrong, and I'm sorry that I'm thinking wrong, and I've got to get this right. I got to change my opinion. I got to change my attitude. My beliefs or my lifestyle in this area doesn't line up with your word. Hey, news alert. Everyone look at me. I don't care how many Sundays you put your butt in a seat in this building. This church will not save you. What you and I have to do is make sure that our lives are lining up with the word of God. Now, the good thing about this church is we'll tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Fortunately for you, and I might sound arrogant by saying this, but I mean it with all my heart. I've been around a long time, and I've been around the ministry. It's all right. You can pull that candy out. You got one for me too? <laughs> fortunately for you and fortunately for me, I've been around a long time, and I've been in the ministry a long time, and I've been around a lot of ministers, and I'm going to tell you something. I can't remember what I was going to say. That's got you on the edge of your seat. I'm going to tell you something. Your well-being is more important to me than my popularity. And so I will tell you the things that will make me unpopular if you take the wrong reaction to what I say. I will run that risk rather than tell you everything you want to hear so that I'm the good guy, and in the end, I rob you of the things you need to hear. Yeah. I had a good teacher, Dave. My, my biological dad was a very honest, sincere man of God. He, was a, he wasn't a great, fancy preacher, but he spoke the truth with the love of God. And he was my teacher, him and my mom. Okay. I'm going to give you a quick example of what we need to do. We live in a racist world, okay? Some of us have been victims of racism. I have to. Some of us haven't. Maybe some of us have had racist attitudes. Nobody's got the corner on racism. Because the moment you think that you and your people have the corner on being racial victims... You've just made yourself a victim perpetuity. Don't fall into that trap. 
humanity is sinful and there's sin everywhere and everybody's messed up. Can we agree? Okay. I'm going to give you an example, racism. Maybe you were grown up, you were taught, maybe your parents showed you, maybe your physical eyes showed you half a story of one person of one color beating up on another person of another color, and it matched what you're seeing, and you only know what you're seeing matches what your mommy told you and what your daddy told you. And we say, see, that's the truth. And we accept the belief system without measuring it up against the Word of God. I'm going to tell you right now, and I don't care what your racial attitude is, if you're going to be in this house, I'm going to tell you what the racial attitude is. God so loves the whole world. God so loves the whole world. And the world comes in a lot of shades of color. It comes in red hair, blonde hair, brown hair, curly hair, nappy hair. It comes in all colors of, of brown to beige, okay? God so loves the whole world. And if I've been taught things that are contrary to people of brown skin or black skin or yellow skin, I have to take everything I was taught and everything I personally experienced, hear me, and line it up with the word of God. God so loves the whole world that he gave his only begotten son for the whole world so that anyone from the whole world who will believe on him will not perish but have everlasting life. It took the same amount of the blood of Jesus to save every color of skin. Turn to your neighbor and say, uh-huh. Watch this, Colossians chapter 3 verse 11 Paul's talking about being a new creation, and he says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or uh, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen. You have to violently take some of the things that you've taught, some of the things your experiences from your perspective have told you, you have to take them and line them up with the Word of God and destroy those things that don't line up with God's Word. And if you've been hurt and abused by a person of a particular color, let me tell you, there are idiots in every color of skin. And by idiots, I mean people who are broken. Broken people break people. We're all the same. Repeat after me. Most of us are like the rest of us. Okay? There's no place for racism in the kingdom of God. There's no first class, second class, third class. It takes the same amount of blood of Jesus to forgive a black man as it does a white man. We are bought with the same blood, and the Bible says we have one Father, so guess what? We are one. Okay? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Grace. Well, we're under grace. I'm under grace, brother. I'm under grace. Let me, let me challenge that for a moment. Let me challenge that because some people think they could keep on living in sin the way they did before they got saved because we're under grace. That's not what the Bible says. 
In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, the grace of God, the NIV says, the grace that comes from God. That means there's a counterfeit grace. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Grace is not an excuse to keep sinning and you get away with it. Grace means you didn't deserve it the first time, but I forgave you. And when I stumble and genuinely repent, and when I make stupid decisions and honestly come to a place of repentance, there will be grace there. But when I take that and stick it in my back pocket and say, I've got a get out of jail card for free. I could keep doing this and I could keep doing that because all I got to do is say, God, I'm sorry and grace will cover me. I am in a deception and I'm on my way to hell. Are you hearing me, church? The grace that comes from God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Somebody say amen. amen. Watch. Lifestyle of sin. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I have told you about beforehand, just as I have told you in the time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm saved by grace. But if I abuse that grace and I choose to keep living the old way, I wear out God's grace. How many of you know God's nobody's fool? Hello? God's nobody's fool. Repentance means I turn away from. Repentance doesn't mean, oh, I feel bad for a moment. Repentance is an action that changes your direction. Yeah, I'm going to take one, just one of those sins, and I'm going to mess everybody up. I want to show you how worldly we become. The Bible says fornication. It lists fornication. Now, we all know what adultery is. Adultery is any one person who's married having sexual intercourse with any other person, married or non-married. So if a married person has sex outside of marriage with anybody, married or non-married, it's adultery. We all understand what adultery is. Correct? Do you know what fornication is? It's how the world lives. Fornication is what is common and normal in this world. And we live according to the patterns of this world. And the Bible says you got to stop living according to the patterns of this world and be transformed by renewing your belief system. So I'm going to tell you what fornication is. I went to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, not because I don't know, but I thought I would get a non-religious viewpoint. 
In fact, you could go to any dictionary because I did several dictionaries and they all said the same thing the Bible says. This is what fornication is. Two people having consensual sex outside of marriage. Fornication. And the Bible says to keep practicing that as a lifestyle, you never really repented of your sins and you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's not the only verse that says it. And I only picked one thing out of a whole list of stuff. Church, what am I saying? There's a revival going on and Bible college students are repenting and confessing sin. Faculty are repenting and confessing sin. Before Jesus had a revival, John the Baptist had a revival. Remember the prophet said, and there will come one and he will prepare the way of the Lord. What did he do? He preached repentance. And the Bible tells us that even Pharisees were getting baptized in water. They were getting baptized in John's baptism. Church, repentance is not an ugly word to those that are in love with Jesus. Repentance is a dirty word to demons. Why? Because when we repent, demons lose the thought or belief systems that we once lived by and they no longer have strongholds in our lives. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. Look at me. I don't preach condemnation, but I will preach the truth. They caught a woman in the act of adultery, all of these Pharisees. I always wonder, how the heck did they catch her in the act and they weren't peeping toms? <laughs> they caught her in the act of adultery. They said, the law of Moses said we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Jesus says, the first one of you who doesn't have any sin, throw the first stone. So all sin is equal. No one throws a stone. Jesus bends down. He starts riding in the ground. You know what he did? He got word of knowledge. He looked up, saw the first guy, wrote down his secret sin. Looked up, saw the next guy, wrote down his secret sin. And one by one, every one of them left. And Jesus turned to the woman and says, where's your accusers? She said, they're all gone. He said, no, I don't condemn you either. We stop there. The church has stopped there. Oh, there's no condemnation. And then people continue to live in sin. Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said, go and sin no more. If we keep living in sin, habitual sin, it is a stronghold for demonic activity in our lives. You will never go from demonic disorder to divine disorder while you're still living according to the pattern of the kingdom of darkness. How many of you are coming back next week? I don't believe in preaching condemnation, but I will preach the truth. Listen. I am very gracious. People pour out some of, they pour out their past. They pour out their present. And I don't judge anyone. I love people and I counsel them and I encourage them and I give them dignity and courage to take the next best step. 
And that's what Jesus would do. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. It's, it, in America, it's normal. We shack up. We live together. Listen, I'm not here to condemn anyone, but you live in those conditions, consider legally getting married and have your big wedding later. Get right. Do the right thing. It's Bible. It's not grace and faith. It's Bible. You cannot live in divine order when you're in the waiting pool of demonic disorder. If you want to bring divine order into your life, we have to think the way God teaches us to think. It might be permissible in this society. 50 years ago, it wasn't permissible. It was shunned. They might accept it today. That's not the point. God's not swayed by public opinion. He's, he doesn't go by the democratic process. The truth never changes, no matter how many people are for it or against it, okay? We have to do the right thing. I went way, way long. I want you to stand with me. There are a lot of things. Church, look at me. Look at me. Please stay still and look at me. This is very serious. We want a revival in America. God wants a revival in his church. I said to my pastors this morning, I talked to several of them, I said, look, I could empty out the church today. That's not my intention to. I don't want to. But I have a responsibility to speak the truth. Church, you'll always get the truth. I'll always tell you the truth. I don't care how hard it is. If I wanted to play the church growth game, I would have shortened my services to 60 minutes and I would have just told you every Sunday how wonderful you are no matter what you're doing. And I would have given you as shallow a gospel as I could and made the song service as happy, clappy as I could and spat you out as fast as I could and still get paid the same amount of money. Yeah. That's why you're here. I value you. I hope you value you. Whatever area of sin we might be in, I'm not condemning you. I love you. I don't think for one minute every person here is perfect. In fact, there's not a perfect person here starting with the preacher. I'm not throwing stones. But I'm saying to you like I would say to my own kids, Enough. Come on. Let's respect the blood of Jesus that was shed to cover our sins. And let's not abuse it. Let's allow the Spirit of God to bring change to the mind of our intellect and the mind of our emotions. And let's come into agreement with God's word. Somebody give me an amen. I'm starving for an amen. Amen. Please, if the word of God is convicting you today, don't let the devil condemn you. God never condemns. He convicts. 
with conviction, there's always a way out. With condemnation, there's no way out. God never tells anyone who slips and falls and is in sin, you horrible, rotten sinner, you're no good. Religion does that. God never does that. God woos us with his love and his compassion. John, the apostle, said, don't you know God's kindness leads us to repentance. When I've made significant, deep changes in my life, it's never been because I was afraid God would get me. That would change my behavior for a few weeks. And then I'd go back to what I was doing. What really brought deep-rooted change in my life, here I was, a song leader, a youth leader, a preacher, And I'm in somebody else's meeting and my life was in rebellion towards God but the people in the church I attended didn't know. And I'm waiting for God to tell me off. And in that atmosphere I heard the audible voice of God. And he said, Rob, I don't have to tell you that you're in sin. You know it. What you don't know is I love you anyway. And the kindness of God, I broke. Man, I wept and wept and wept. And that one moment, that one revelation of God's heart changed everything about me. I'm not saying I became perfect. I'm saying my understanding of God changed. And because I understood his love, his grace, his compassion, It inspired me to change rather than scared me to change. Are you hearing me? Turn to someone and say, that is good preaching. It's good teaching. Yeah. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, I apologize today. We've gone much later. But I don't apologize for the truth. I need to speak these things. We live in a very sinful, corrupt world. And we've accepted it, and it's come into the church. Guys, we need to push it out of our lives. Don't you be the policeman or the watchman and try to censor everybody else. No. Every one of us need to look to our own lives. We get religious when we try to clean up everyone else. Mind your own business. Take care of you. I find it hard to preach like this because I know I'm accountable. More so because I'm the teacher. So don't be somebody else's policeman. Let the Spirit of God talk to you and change. Change your thinking. Change your belief systems and come into agreement with how God thinks. And you will get out of demonic disorder and you will step into divine order. And that's the blessing of God. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, do it right now. It's the best decision you could ever make. I don't care how many things you've done wrong. God loves sinners. He loves us. He loves you. He loves all of us. I'm not going to play that religious, pharisaical game. We're all broken, and we all need Jesus. Every eye closed. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart and you've never done that, quickly raise your hand. Come on, nice and high. 
Sir, I see your hand up the back. You can put it down. God bless you. Who else wants to say yes to Jesus Christ? You want to ask him in your heart. I see that hand over there uh, all the way up the back. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Young man, I see your hand as well. God bless you. Who else wants to say yes to Jesus? Ma'am, I see you. God bless you. God bless you. Who else wants to say yes to Christ? I love this Jesus because he loves me no matter what shape I come in. It doesn't matter how broken I am, how mixed up I am, how messed up I am. He's not the Jesus who rejects us. He's the Jesus who gets us. Oh, I like that. That was good. Who else needs to raise your hand one more time? I think about four people so far have raised their hand, at least four. I want everyone to pray this prayer, especially if you raised your hand. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I should have paid. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying on that cross. You died for my mistakes. And I accept what you did, and I accept you. Jesus Christ, I welcome you. I want you. I invite you. Come into my life right now and live in me. Talk to me. Walk with me. Lead me. I want a relationship with you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins and loving me. Amen. Amen. If you've done that, I would love, if you're not already, doing a discipleship class. I take this very, very serious. I want to be thorough. I have many young Christians who recently asked Jesus in their heart doing this discipleship class. We commit to feed you seven weeks. We give you a Bible. We give you an, a, a, a study book. At, when you graduate, we give you a leather Bible cover and a heap of other glossy information. We give you a T-shirt when you get baptized in water. Over $50, $60. Why? I'm not just looking for hands. We're not looking for numbers. We're looking for people. And we want to build their lives on the truth of Jesus Christ. You join that class today or join next week. There's no starting date every week. You, it's just like a cycle. Come in at any lesson and just continue. You're welcome to join. If you've never been baptized in water as an adult, not as an infant, that's baby dedication. You must repent and become a follower. That's adult baptism. We're having baptism on March, January, March the 5th. Where's Donna Johnson? Donna? All right, Donna Johnson is in the foyer. See Donna Johnson. If you have not been baptized in water as an adult, Jesus told us to do it. If you were sprinkled as a baby, that's beautiful. But you need to be baptized as an adult. See Donna, church, I love you guys. I'll always commit to tell you the truth, even if it means I'll lose popularity. 
I give an answer to my dad in heaven. I love you. This is a safe place, and you'll always hear the truth, and the truth will always set you free. God bless you guys. God bless you. Give the Lord a big hand.